wonder-working stars in the precious... Incredible as they seem, are not the results of mass hysteria. <laughs> You may wish to adjust the dial. You are currently tuned into the wrong station. remember the first job you ever had? I imagine you probably do, in no small part because your first job, if you're like most people, was a shitty one. I mean, sure, we all know people who went straight from university into high five-figure jobs in marketing or securities, or consulting, whatever the hell that means. Perfectly nice people too, mind you, but blissfully unaware that anyone not in their social or familial situation would need ten years industry experience to make up for it. But anyway, that's not most people's first job. We're talking about pushing grocery carts, working in a plastics factory over the summer, selling knives door to door, or working in a restaurant. Now, let me back up there, because working in a restaurant is pretty general and not necessarily shitty. Lots of people work in restaurants. Chefs, needless to say. Bartenders, managers. Waiting is a fine job. And if you find a good restaurant, you can make a career out of it. But this is first job restaurant job. Porter, dishwasher, prep chef. That was my first job. Prep chef at Pollo Rojo. No, you heard that correctly. Not El Pollo Rojo. Just Pollo Rojo. Red chicken. Whether that was an artistic choice or simply a failure to grasp the language, only Derek will ever know. Derek. The owner. Now there was a trust fund kid. From what I could glean at the time and in years after, which wasn't much, he bought the place with the help of his folks. Whether that was because he thought it was a savvy business investment or because he wanted to somehow prove his business acumen, or whether he was just bored. I cannot say. In whatever case, if you'd known Derek when he bought the place, you'd probably have thought it was a strange decision, because the man didn't know diddly damn fuck about running a restaurant. But, he did know how to market. Or at the very least, he had friends in publishing and media. Weeks before the doors opened, Pollo Rojo was being talked about in blogs and local papers as the hot new thing specializing in a whole roast chicken style that Derek had encountered while traveling through Spain, the restaurant was going to be something fresh and new. And that's where I come in. It was the summer of 08, and I was 15, just getting to that age where your tastes and your sense of fun have outgrown a $10 a week allowance. I needed a job. I'd already dropped off resumes at a mom-and-pop grocery store and at the movie theater, 
But it just so happened that one day, while walking around downtown, I passed by Pollo Rojo, the talk of the town. And the still unopened building had a sign in the window reading, Help Wanted, Kitchen Staff. Now, I didn't have any kitchen experience, or any experience, but I still gave a knock on the door. I'd heard how restaurant jobs had great tips, and I figured with how much I'd been seeing ads for the place plastered everywhere, it was bound to be popular and busy. My knock was answered by a tall, slim, waspy-looking man with slicked-back hair that seemed extremely precise in its messiness. He wore a long-sleeved charcoal henley, a pair of khaki chinos that it was five years too early to be as tight as they were, and a pair of horn-rimmed designer glasses. A real tech startup type, years ahead of his time. This was Derek. He gave me the old up and down before coolly asking, I mean, I think it was a question, help wanted? I nodded, and he gave a very ambiguous sigh before gesturing me in. It was smaller inside than I'd expected. Room to seat maybe eight or ten people, and have a line of four people waiting for their food before they'd hit the door. You want the line outside, where people can see it, remarked Derek as he noticed me glance around. As he did, he tapped one finger to his temple and gave a wry smile. Fifteen-year-old me thought it was quite sage. We stepped past the door beside the service counter, through the broom closet of a kitchen, and into Derek's office, which took up maybe as much space as the rest of the restaurant. He took a seat, and I took a seat, rooting through my backpack for a resume as he leaned back in his chair and inattentively looked on. It sat there on his desk for about ten seconds, and I don't think he even looked down once as he slid it off his desk and into the trash. I looked down. Um, you didn't look at it. Are you cool? Derek asked, ignoring my comment. What? Are you cool? He repeated. I didn't know what to say. Needless to say, if I were asked that question in an interview now, I would walk out of the room without a thought. But as a teenager, I was just embarrassed that I was failing whatever kind of test this was. Derek continued. Because we're not just opening a restaurant here. We're doing something new. And I want guys. And, yes, he did specify guys. Who are cool. Who are going to trust the idea and the process. Who aren't going to question if how we do things is a little unorthodox. Going along with what he was feeding me, I enthusiastically nodded and said, Yeah! And, sure. You seem cool, man. But I want to hear you say it. Are you cool? Yeah, I'm cool. <laughs> yeah, I'm cool. And with those words, I began the most horrific weeks of my life. Pollo Rojo was still a few days from its grand opening, but the kitchen was ready to go, and with me hired, we were now fully staffed. There was Greg and Tony, our two chefs. Well, chef is a strong word. Our two people who did the cooking. There was Josh, our porter slash dishwasher, only two years older than me and kind of a shit about it. And there was me. That's it. Derek was, in theory, going to work the counter, 
but Tony stepped up during training and said he could handle that. Nice, was Derek's satisfied response. So, yeah, just four of us total. Which meant that, obviously, all of us were expected to be there for every shift. I appreciate loyalty, Derek explained when I asked him about it. And the time I save not having to fuck around and make a schedule is time I can use to make the restaurant better. I distinctly remember the vein that popped from his forehead as he explained this to me as though I were a child. Well, I guess I was one. But you get what I mean. Real quick, I became the one who asked questions and got shit on for it. Obviously, I wasn't quite as cool as I'd said I was, but I guess at that point it wasn't worth the time to hire someone else, so now Derek and the other guys were stuck with me. Greg, Tony, and Josh didn't give a shit if they were here all week, so my giving a shit didn't count for much. It became a familiar pattern. Anyway, like I said earlier, I was hired as a prep chef. Sounds easy enough, right? What are we talking about here? Chopping onions? <laughs> no. Not onions. Like I mentioned, Pollo Rojo was going to specialize in one thing. Whole roast chickens. And on that first day, I discovered that my job, what I would be prepping, were those chickens. But what I really mean is butcher. I was told that, and I was a little nervous. But that's easy enough, right? Most of the hard work is already done when you buy a whole chicken. Right? It's not like this lunatic is asking you to butcher live chickens. Right? The first delivery arrived on the second day of training. I'd spent half the day prior cleaning out a maintenance closet to serve as a sort of makeshift coop. And after getting home that same day, I'd spent the evening watching online tutorials on how to slaughter and pluck a chicken. The first couple times I tried it, it was messy. Very messy. Unsanitarily messy. Even as inexperienced as I was, I was fairly certain there was some code against doing this where food was being cooked. I went to Derek's office to ask about it, but as I passed the door's threshold and saw the look on his face when he saw me, I quickly changed my question to something about what I should do with the feathers, heads, feet, and giblets. I'd, um... I'd never killed anything before then. You know? Not even a fish. I'd never felt a living animal, fresh with barnyard stink, struggle in my grasp to keep on living. Keep scraping its claws against the metal counter for another agonizing few seconds after having its neck cracked. That was day two. I went home and, I don't feel ashamed to say, threw up and then cried myself to sleep. Day three, the last day of training, was more of the same. I should note that by the end of this third day, I'd already prepped quite a few chickens. Far more than Greg and Tony were roasting in their quest to get the spice mix and the cook times right. Out of ten chickens I'd killed the day before, and twenty more on that day, they'd cooked maybe five total before deciding they'd gotten it pretty down pat. 
The rest went into the walk-in refrigerator. A dingy and dimly lit ten-foot cube with, uh, <clears throat> stained steel walls. And with that, it was time for opening. Those first few days hadn't been the best, but I was excited to actually get working. And I was excited to make some money, both from the tips and because the probation training shifts were being counted as half the hours. I was called in early so I could get even more chickens ready. I want at least 30 birds ready to go when those doors open, said Derek, and then keep going. So that's what I did. Or at least, tried to do. 30 birds in two hours. I was, unfortunately, already getting quite good at killing the poor things. Not to mention desensitized. <laughs> that's one of the truly insane things, and I still can't get over it no matter how many years pass. The man had me killing live chickens in his kitchen. Had me pluck and got them right there, hardly ten feet away from where he wanted people eating. You could be sure it was a mess in every respect, especially when I was rushing like I was. Not to mention that closet. Thirty live birds delivered when I got there, and another fifty right before doors. But I did it. I was a stupid, spineless teenager, and he was my boss. And I did it. Pollo Rojo opened at noon that day to a tepid first hour. A few people stopped in, looked around, ordered, waited nearly 30 minutes for those orders to cook, and then walked out with a whole roast chicken. I should make clear that it's not just that Pollo Rojo only made whole roast chickens, it's also that they only sold those roast chickens whole. Derek stalked around the kitchen for that first hour, impatiently looming, irritated by the slow start. And then, when he noticed that I was starting to slow down in my prep work, he lashed out. What's the deal, man? I asked you to keep prepping chickens. Sorry, yes, I just thought, you just thought what? My jaw tightened and I looked down at my shoes, my face red with embarrassment. It's a little slow out there. We still have most of the chickens I did this morning. And all the ones in the fridge from the last two days. Derek looked at me dead-eyed for a full five seconds. And that vein in his left temple was popping again. Then he lifted his nose in the air, leaned back, looked down, and started to laugh. You hear that, guys? We have enough chickens for the rest of the day, and our buddy doesn't want to work anymore. Sounds like he wants to go home. The others joined in on the laughter. <laughs> Fucking hey, maybe we have enough chickens for the week. So maybe I give him the week off. And since we're hardly serving anyone, maybe I give Greg the week off too, huh? Greg stopped laughing. The others kept sneering. Derek sidled up beside me and looked down, his crisp white shirt contrasting starkly with my blood-stained apron. Do you want to go home? No, Derek, I stammered. Well then, let me just tell you a little secret. There's this time of the day, 1 p.m., and they call it the lunch rush. So just do what I tell you, and don't ask stupid questions. He walked out of the kitchen and slammed the door to his office. It took about two seconds after that 
until Greg ran full steam in my direction and slammed me into a wall. You think you're fucking smart, you little shit? He had his left hand on my chest, and his right forearm pressed up against my throat. His arm was dense with slabby fat and covered in coarse black hair, and in that moment I became worryingly aware of the difference in our age and stature. As for his question, I shook my head, which was all I could think to do. Then shut up and don't fuck this up for us. He eased up the pressure from his forearm, and I gasped for air. Be cool, man. I went back to prepping chickens. And sure enough, we did get more customers during the lunch rush. Two more. So, eight. The dinner rush, peak evening hours, and midnight snack time were equally uneventful. As we closed up, I stored several dozen more chickens in the walk-in fridge. The rest of the week wasn't any better. In fact, it was worse. Pollo Rojo's big marketing push, the magazine features, and the new-to-try blog posts, they were a puff of smoke. The restaurant was a non-entity, a single concept being shoved down people's throats, a rich kid's idea of experienced dining and fabricated authenticity, with no flexibility or compromise. One in four people who even came in asked if we served potatoes or any kind of side, and then immediately walked out after Tony sneered at the question. The three of them, they'd all bought into it. People will come around, Tony said. They'll wake up. Well, as for me, I didn't have time to buy into anything. I just kept slaughtering and plucking those birds. More every day, it seemed. If there was one thing Pollo Rojo was becoming famous for, it was that. People would ask about the clucking they heard coming from the back. They'd wonder out loud what that ungodly smell was. I could never tell if they meant the coop, the carcass waste, or the chickens starting to rot in the back of the walk-in fridge. You see... Every single chicken that I'd prepped up to that point was still in the fridge. About halfway through the first week, we'd run out of shelf space in there, and Derek, begrudgingly, had agreed to dispose of the excess chicken in a spare bin placed at the back of the walk-in. I'd nearly vomited as I plopped the slick old birds into it, taking care not to touch the spots where mold had started to grow. Well, garbage day came and went but the smell of rotting poultry still lingered when he walked by the fridge. I hadn't even seen Josh go in there, so I was pretty sure he'd forgotten to take the bin out. Or he just couldn't care less. Either way, he didn't get a second chance. When people started getting sick, Josh was the first. Not that his presence was much missed. I, unsurprisingly at this point, picked up his duties while he was gone. The restaurant hadn't been as clean since the day we opened. Not that it did anything to stop the smell from getting worse and spreading out into the kitchen. When I offered to take a few hours to get rid of the old chickens and hose down the fridge, Derek snapped at me. This is a restaurant. Restaurants have bad smells. You're going to have to get used to it. You keep doing your job and prep those chickens. And from that point, I was barred from even entering the fridge. Since I was so distracted about how many chickens were back there, Derek said he'd put the unsold ones away himself at the end of each day. I wondered if maybe he was embarrassed about how much food waste was back there. 
and how bad it must have been if he was. There was something different about him now. The first few weeks I'd known him, he'd still been a horrible asshole, but there was always a chilling confidence that came with that. Now the threads were coming loose. He was more irritable than ever, more twitchy. You could hear him pacing in his office between long, tense phone calls. At the time, I wondered if it was money. But looking back, it obviously wasn't. No. People in that position, they're not worried about money. At least not on that scale. This wasn't someone at risk of losing the house and the car if the restaurant went under. Only pride was at stake. The desperation to maintain that veneer of superiority. To not look like a fuck-up. And honestly, that kind of desperation can be far more dangerous. I know that much now. Anyway, I tried not to worry about it. I'd at least gotten my first paycheck by then. Cash in an envelope. Though, um... <laughs> I did notice that the cost of my Pollo Rojo uniform t-shirt was taken out of it. Tony was the next to get sick. Or, at least, the next one who stopped showing up for work. We were down to a handful of customers a day. I didn't even bother splitting the tips with Greg. It was two dollars in a tin cup. He could have it. He needed it more than I did. A few days later, he was a coughing mess himself. Thank Christ there was nobody to serve, for the way he was hacking and snotting all over everything. Not to mention the putrid reek that was leaking out of the walk-in, claiming every corner of the restaurant as its own. Given our little fracas from before, and his general attitude toward me, I didn't think it was worth the risk to ask Greg how he was. But that evening, as we were getting ready to shut down for the day, he was taken with a coughing fit and had to brace himself against one of the steel counters. I brought him a glass of water as he got it under control, and then I just stood there silently as he stared a hole into the wall for a minute after. Eventually, he spoke up in a hoarse voice. I can't lose this job, he said. I just can't. I tried to reason with him. Surely he could take a few days off, not get fired just because he was sick. Greg snickered, but coughed through it. You still don't get it, huh? I understand. You seem like a smart kid. This is just a summer job for you. But this is it for some of us. It doesn't get any better. You just take what you can get. You don't ask questions. Do what you're told and try and get through it one shift at a time. And for the first time, I kind of understood him and Tony and what Josh was probably going to become. I understood why they didn't seem to care about anything. And I felt ashamed by my privilege that working here was a choice for me. Greg coughed again, turned around and slid down the counter until he was sitting on the floor with his legs splayed out. I may be right. I can't work like this. You go. I'll close up shop and talk to Derek. I told Greg that I hoped he felt better tomorrow and headed out. It was the last time I saw him. It was just me the next day. Me and Derek. I considered asking how I was supposed to run the kitchen by myself. 
but I didn't bother. I knew nobody would be coming, and I didn't have the energy to get screamed at again. I had been working for close to 12 hours a day, every day, for nearly three weeks. I was totally run down. My throat was sore, I was clammy, my forehead was burning, and I was completely nauseous from the fucking horrific, permeating, omnipresent, go-home-and-try-and-scrub-it-from-every-poor-stink coming from that walk-in fridge. For God's sakes, it, it didn't even smell like rotten chicken anymore. Just... Rot. Halfway through that day, I stopped killing chickens. I was exhausted, and by that point, the exercise seemed entirely pointless. I wish I could say that consideration for the chickens' lives had even factored into that decision, but I was well past that. At the end of the day, Derek asked me into his office. I was expecting to get reamed out about it. Instead, we had a very different conversation. Derek was going to be doing interviews starting tomorrow, and he wanted me to sit in. Yeah, you've really shown your loyalty to me these past few weeks, and you're actually kind of sharp in your own way. You're going to help me interview and then train the new team. I might even make you manager. You'll get a 50 cent raise. I was, um, taken aback. One, because I knew that Derek hated me, and two, because I knew that this was wrong. What about Greg and Tony? Greg and Tony don't work here anymore. <laughs> of course. By this point, my body was on fire, and the room was spinning. I felt like I was in a nightmare. I couldn't say what I wanted to, but I also couldn't go on in the state I was. So I braced myself and said what I needed to, that I was also sick, that I needed a few days off to get better, and that I couldn't accept the promotion. There was a moment of silence after I finished speaking my mind. Derek just stared at me, no expression, no vein popping this time. After about ten seconds, he spoke. All right, I'll uh, think about what you said. It seemed like that was all he was going to say. I was quite surprised, as I'd fully expected to be fired right then and there. I nodded and began to get up from my seat. But as I did, he cut in with one more thing. Before you leave, do me a favor and clean out that fridge. The world seemed to shift diagonally in my clouded brain. Fuck. Now? I nodded again. I wasn't going to let him make me quit and withhold my pay. Because that's the only reasoning I could think of for him asking me to do that right then. As I stood in front of the fridge door, I couldn't believe the stench that was rolling off of it like thick fog. How had I possibly survived the last week working here? I tried to tally up in my head just how many chickens had been stored in this fridge. And the number was simply staggering. The math alone filled me with dread as I placed my hand in the latch and pulled. Now, you'll have to take me at my word when I tell you this next part. Or at least trust me when I say that I truly believe I saw everything I think I saw. That, even if this was all a fevered delusion, 
it looked and felt and smelled real. The door opened and I flicked on the light, filling the baker's racks inside, floor to ceiling, front to very back, were the chickens I'd been preparing. Hundreds of them, it must have been. I questioned whether I'd really done all this myself. And the further down the fridge I looked, the more putrid and rotted those bird carcasses were, the bright pink of the first few racks quickly fading into muted yellows and mottled browns. And then, after a few seconds, I finally noticed it. My brain must have blocked it out at first in an attempt to spare me. I looked into the corner of the fridge where we'd kept the bin. Except you couldn't see the bin anymore. It had overflowed to the point that it was completely lost, buried under a huge mound of flesh. Slimy, oozing. It almost looked like it was pulsating. This mound must have been at least equal in mass to that of all the other hundreds of still-whole chickens in the room. Probably more. It reached five disgusting feet halfway up the fridge wall, and then sloped and slopped down to spread more at its base. Though, somehow, the grease that sweated from it climbed even further up the wall. It stained the fridge lights, making even the illumination in the room seem filthy. In the very top layers of it, you could still vaguely see the components of the animals that comprised it. Bone, skin, sinew. But as these layers went further and deeper down, they were pressed and crushed by the rot above them. The very bottom was more liquid than solid. Yellow and brown chickens looked positively edible next to the glossy greens and puce of this pile, sprinkled with black lesions and peppered here and there with furry clumps of mold. Funny. All those colors, and no red, no rojo, in sight. I took a step back as all this hit me at once, the shapes, the colors, the wretched pong that pierced into my brain, setting off every evolutionary aversion to death and the dead. And as I took one, two, three steps back, I bumped into something. Someone. This is all your fault, you know, I heard in Derek's dry, cold voice. I had been so nauseated that I hadn't even heard him sneak up behind me. All your negative bullshit ruined my restaurant. All your talk about sick days and questions about health codes. He had a long, sharp butcher's knife in his hand. And now you think you can just leave? The knife was pointed at my gut, and Derek slowly advanced, backing me up into that fridge step by step. I gave you a fucking job, man, and more than that, a chance to be part of something. You owe me. I'd run out of space behind me. I could feel it as rancid, jellied fat squelched beneath my feet. 
I was deep inside the fridge, with Derek at my front, and a miasmatic altar to pestilence at my back. And maybe it was my sensory overload that turned into a blinding rage, with a thought that I was about to die in that hellhole. But in that moment, I finally spoke my mind. No questions, no mumbling about needing a day off. Fuck you, Derek, and fuck your shitty restaurant. He stopped, and just stared at me for a second. That vein, that same vein in his forehead, was popping again, and it swelled, and swelled, and swelled until... Well, I know people often say, pop a vein is a turn of phrase, but... The thing actually fucking popped. His forehead started going scarlet. Red capillaries overflowed into his eyes, and furious salt tears started streaming down his face, and he finally lunged at me. I closed my eyes and took one last half-step back, and I slept. I hadn't noticed before, but the floor of the fridge was slick with a thin slime which had been seeping out of the pile. I lost my footing and as my arms jerked out to try and find some support, I got a hold of one of the baker's racks before hitting the floor. At the same moment, Derek swung wide with the knife where I'd been, and lost his balance in the slime as well. But when he fell forward, he had nothing to stop him, nothing near enough to grab and keep his footing. And he tumbled, face first, into that stinking oozing green puce and black pile of sludge. There was no splat. There was no splash. No wet sound or scream. It seemed to welcome him without resistance, sucking him down into a mouth with no mouth, and he disappeared into the wet, fuzzy folds as if he'd walked into a calm lake. Everything was quiet. Everything was still. Even the adrenaline seemed to stop pumping through my body, because even though I had no logical reason to think that Derek wouldn't burst screaming out of that mountain of fleshy dregs, the moment had an unexplainable sense of finality to it. Still, I made a half-hearted try to look for him, grabbed a big wooden spoon and dug in there, popping the thing like a rotten souffle. Nothing. That was the end of Pollo Rojo. Next time I saw it, the building was empty with a four-lease sign in the window. Nobody contacted me about Derek having gone missing. With no security setup and no real employment records, there wasn't any evidence I'd ever even been there. And I certainly wasn't going to open my mouth about the experience. Besides, what would I even say? So yeah, that was my first job. Poultry eviscerator extraordinaire. I will say, I did attempt to redeem myself in my final act as an employee. When I left that night, I opened that coop closet door and let the chickens I hadn't killed earlier out into the night. Forty? Fifty? Nothing compared to the number in that fridge. But at least it was something.
This week's episode, Pollo Rojo, was written and performed by Anthony Botello. The Wrong Station is made possible with the generous support of our listeners on Patreon. Thank you to Matt Shriver, Andrew McGarity, The Z-Mage, Heather Anderson, Rodney Colin Rees, Donica Shelley Moody, John Mazeros, Taylor Bryan, Vin Loban, Matthew Huke, Cody Nelms, Seth Williams, Gina Agostini, Sylphius, and Craig for helping us keep the lights, well, off. You can also support us by leaving a rating and review on iTunes, or wherever it is you listen to The Wrong Station. The Wrong Station is co-produced by Alexander Saxton, Anthony Botello, and Jacob Duarte Spiel, with music composed and performed on the piano by Elan Citrin, and arranged for the viola and performed by Viola Schmidt. You can follow The Wrong Station on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and email us at therongstation at gmail.com. And until next time, thank you for listening. <laughs>